1: Hello and welcome to the Eurostep podcast, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast for the Blue Wire Network. Uh, my name is Kane Pittman. I'm joined by Ty Windish as always. How's it going, Ty? Uh,
2: it's going pretty well, you know, after a controversial call at late in this Bucks Celtics game that I'm guessing we're going to talk about using my powers of intuition, I figured that one out. It wasn't going as well, but now that the game's wrapped and the Bucks have won, I'd say it's going very well.
1: Well, you touched on it and we're going to, we are going to get straight into that. Uh the Milwaukee Bucks hang on against the Boston Celtics 98-97 Kyrie Irving uh, chucks a floater up right at the at the buzzer that misses the Bucks survive but not before that controversial uh decision that I, I think had a lot of people confused I I don't think that's a situation that we've seen very often uh so we we'll just for those perhaps that didn't see it I feel like everyone did but for those that didn't see it uh the Bucks force a jump ball uh there's 3.7 seconds on the clock at the jump ball, 0.2 seconds left on the shot clock. So really, the only way the Bucs can do anything is with a clean tip uh, that hits the rim and it well, either makes a shot or hits the rim and resets the shot clock. That's the only way the Bucs can get out of this. Uh, Giannis tips the ball to Brook Lopez, who, for all eyes and for from what I've seen, gets a clean tip on the ball, it hits the rim, and the referees call a shot clock violation. So there's confusion everywhere, uh, Bud's not happy the Bucks aren't happy the four on crowd is not happy uh, in the end it's ruled that it is a shot clock violation Celtics hit the ball with 3.5 seconds left and as I mentioned Kyrie Irving misses the um, the, the Florida the potential game winner so uh, I've got the official referees report sitting next to me before I get to that what did you see on that play, and did you know what the actual rule was, and what just what were you thinking was going on? And obviously, I was at the game, so I didn't hear what the announcers were saying either. So, uh, what was what was your perspective on that?
2: Well, you know, this was a Kevin Harlan Reggie Miller game, and Reggie Miller was doing a lot of the talking around this yeah. point. So, I gained nothing from the broadcast. <laughs> I, I think I lost knowledge because of it. I didn't know the to to answer your, the real question. I didn't know if the clock started when. The, the tipper in this case Giannis or the recipient touches the ball which is obviously crucial in this situation and I think I've read and I know you've got the referees report that the game clock starts when Giannis touches in this in this case of course and and the shot clock when Brooke touches it which you know in my opinion I, it looked to me like it was as clean of a tip as you can get and that it should have it should have been a shot attempt by Brook Lopez and and then either a rebound or whatever by Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, they, they blew the play dead, but I, it was very strange to me. I mean, I guess they could argue, and they are, to maybe do some rear-end covering that Brooke took too long to tip it, but I, I don't know. I thought it, it it felt like a pretty instantaneous and, and on-point tip by
1: Brooke Lopez to me. Right. So so that's you've, you've pretty much touched on exactly what the case is. So uh, – in this case, the crew chief, Mark Callahan, answers a question from the media post game. Uh, and the question was simple. Please explain why there was a shot clock violation off the jump ball with 3.7 seconds remaining. Uh, his answer is with 0.2 seconds, the 24 second shot clock didn't start until Lopez possessed the ball. When he possesses the ball, you cannot have a legal shot attempt with 0.2 on the shot clock. Uh, and then I was clarified again that the shot clock. Um, the shot clock did not start until Lopez touched the ball. So in the end, and and this, you know, I've watched this several times now and I think everyone else in the media room at the game has probably come to the conclusion that the refs made a mistake here. And Bud commented on this after the game. He said it's not actually a reviewable play for them to go back and look at that and say, okay, well, no, he actually did tip the ball. But from what you can see here, and again, like you mentioned, they're not at this point in time. They're not going to come out straight after the game and say, "Okay, that was a mistake." But that looked like a, as clean a tip as you could have for Lopez. And really, in that situation, the Bucks could not have executed that play any better. Um, the only th- the only thing is obviously Brogdon then gets a rebound, misses a layup, and you know, and and again, you're not sure whether that's a reaction to the whistle. Um, maybe he he would make that shot if there wasn't so much confusion. I'm not too sure, but. Either way, the Bucs escape with a win, but if they did not, uh, that's that's a pretty controversial decision that we just witnessed.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, even if everything with Brogdon plays out the same, you know, the clock might be effectively done by the time he's done getting the rebound and missing the layup. Like even like all he really had to do was at anything, and the clock would run out if that's called a live ball. I mean, three point five seconds—that's the amount of time left theoretically after Brook touched the ball. So then, if it took a second for it to hit the rim, and another second and a half for Brodin to touch it, it only leaves one seconds for the Celtics to one second for the Celtics to rebound and get the ball. It was very strange to me right away. I think the Bucks people are tired of being fined because the reaction's been pretty muted to this. I know. Alex Laz tweeted something like the official report and, you know, this is what they're going with and I suppose it's this. And, it, you know, I, as someone who cannot be fined by the the NBA for saying this, and you also can't, that I agree with you. I think they they blew it and now they're, they're kind of not saying that, but also not not saying that in this whole thing a little bit. I mean, they're sort of saying they didn't blow it, but they're also, I don't know, when I read the official report and I think I think it was Eric who got credit on the thing, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know how credit and naming goes down for the officials' reports. But they kind of – like he asked them to explain what a tip is and when a tip can happen and all this. I don't know. It, the whole thing is just weird to me.
1: Yeah, so uh, just just to clarify why Eric name was the one – the name on the report. So big, someone big from name. Big name. Yeah, well, yeah, they 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 do uh, select someone from the media to go in, and there's a couple of people, a couple of other people in there. So there's a couple of people from the media that go in, and I guess that's just the way for the Boston, I guess, side of the, the fence to get the official answer. And in the end, it doesn't really matter; they print it out and give it to you either way. But um, what we know with the referees, anyway, they, they I mean, they're never going to admit that they they made a mistake like that. Uh, you know, a judgment call mistake like that directly after the game, anyway. So they've clarified the rule. We know what the rule is now, and then it comes down to a judgment call or whether you watch it. and And perhaps tomorrow in the two minute report, they might say that was wrong. I'm not sure. My feeling is they probably won't. But uh, in the end, it doesn't cost the bucks, and they do get a win. They move to 44 and 14 on the season, 30 games over uh, 500, which is just insane. And they just continue to win. Uh, they've won 15 of their last 17 games now. And it was another win where they, they're going to take a lot out of that. They fall behind late, and we've seen this a couple of times. Uh, you know, on the road in Toronto is, is one that, that comes to mind where they fall behind and can come up with a couple of big shots. And it was Kyrie Irving, and, and we've seen this before. We've seen him do this through his whole career. Uh, he has a little little patch of, of five points in the fourth quarter, hits a three, then hits another tough layup. Uh, to put the Celtics up 92-91 with 1.37 left. And the Bucs are in a position where they need to come up with some shots. And after that moment, it's it's Bledsoe that, that gets into the paint. Giannis uh, assists that basket. Uh, then Giannis himself takes it upon himself, gets the free throw line, two free throws. And then, of course, the big shot that, that everyone's going to remember, Brogdon gets it out to the top of the arc. Middleton again which I just feel like you can watch that shot on replay that is a shot that we've seen his whole career we've seen him do it multiple times this season already these guys just clutch and you get him in that that position it was almost it felt like a, a an absolute replay of the one earlier in the season where again Brogdon got Middleton the ball uh, above the break top of the key he knocks it down and the Bucks are, are never headed from that point
2: yeah, I mean, I tweeted early that Middleton is a Celtics killer. You know, the the shot earlier in the season, he made a, a real nice, I think it was like a straight-on pull-up three early in this game. And then, obviously, the playoffs last season. I mean, he was just completely unconscious against Boston. And, you know, I think I, – I feel like usually I don't root against teams in almost any circumstance. But, like, if it's going to be the Lakers or the Celtics taking an L, I feel like I have – it's easier to enjoy that. Like those fan bases have profited so much in terms of like fan currency. If if that makes any sense that like when the Celtics take a nice L while they're scheming for Anthony Davis with their, however many thousand championships, I'm like good. So good for Chris Middleton.
1: Yeah. Good for Chris Middleton. I mean, he, he, uh, you know, has a really nice nice night. Uh, I think, again, he would like to hit a, a few more shots, but he wasn't alone with that. Uh, Middleton shoots five for 14 from the field, but he hits three, three or six of his threes, and the Bucks, as a team actually shot pretty well from behind the arc. He adds 13 rebounds, one off a career high of 14. He has four assists, um, finishes with 15 points in a night, really an all-round game. The only thing you would probably like to see tidy up is the turnovers. He had five turnovers uh Giannis himself had four. So those two, uh, a little bit sloppy. And, and you know, they both pointed to the fact after the game that it can be a little bit difficult after the All-Star break. Giannis in particular shrugged that off. He he wasn't too concerned. He's like, well, this is just what happens after the All-Star break. They were just happy that they got the win. But Middleton Early was, uh, you know, one of the only guys that was able to really sort of uh, penetrate the defense and make some nice passes for assists. I think he had three in the first quarter. Um but look, again, uh, not a perfect night on offense for the Bucks. but I already mentioned the uh, the Bledsoe layup and the Milton big shot and Giannis getting into the paint. Before that, when the game was tight, Brogdon hits a, a nice little mid-range shot as well. So, uh, you know, I, I mentioned this after the game to Bud that everyone always talks about this being an all-inclusive offense, but when the pressure was on tonight, you know, all of the starters were involved and they all hit shots. And, and that's what the Bucs needed to, to win the game on a night where they weren't firing on all cylinders. And everyone steps up, everyone hits a big shot of their own and they're able to get out of it. Um, it's, it's, it's probably the trademark of this team now. We know that there's a bunch of guys that, that not only can hit big shots but enjoy taking big shots. And, it, it you know, you, you found tonight that it looked like Boston were just all Kyrie. And it was very and you're like, look, this guy's a superstar. He might beat the Bucs, but it was very predictable. Whereas on the Milwaukee side, they're able to move the ball around a little bit. They've got a few different options who can hit the shot. And and that's really tough to defend in a close game.
2: Yeah, and I think it's extra encouraging that some of the other Bucs were able to come through late because this game was another example of a team just really coming out and saying we're going to try to make life hard for Giannis. You know, we're going to try to flood the lane and everything else and make him move the ball and and just live or die with Milwaukee shooters. And the only reason, I mean, and Giannis still got off 30. Like, he's so ridiculously good at this point. It doesn't really matter what teams do. But he's still going to pass a lot because, you know, Giannis plays the right way. And obviously playing in a Mike Budenholzer offense helps with that. But the only reason the Celtics were in this game late is because the Bucs missed what felt like, a thousand good looks from three, I think, in the third and mostly fourth quarter, uh, especially like I think four in a row at one point that led to the, the the last Celtics run. And it's nice to see the team shrug that off, not get into their heads like the Rockets did in Game Seven against the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals last year, and that horrific 0 for twenty six, I think it was, and and just buckle down and make plays and make shots because that's what they're gonna need to do. I mean, there's going to be times when there's three guys in the paint, and as good as Giannis is, I mean, the right call is to pass. And it must be comforting for him to know that when he's passing, more often than not, he's getting it to someone who can make a shot or make a play.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the beauty of Giannis right now. And, uh, uh, you know, the key is that he has the ball in his hands because when he has the ball in his hands, everything else clicks. And I, I think we I think we did say that tonight. I already mentioned, he had a couple of assists on those on those shots late. Uh, he's the one that that starts the offense. He's the one that fuels the offense. But importantly, he's got complete trust and full trust in the other teammates, and none more so than Chris Middleton. And uh, Matt Velasquez asked Giannis after the game uh, about what he's thinking when when he passes that ball to Middleton, and and Matt couldn't even finish the question. Giannis is like, oh, "I know it's going in." He's like, I, "I've seen that too many times before. He does that all the time." He's so calm in those situations, and and that's <laughs> that's the beauty of Giannis. You know, uh, everyone, you know, questions from the outside. Well, he's not taking the shot, or he's not doing. That. He doesn't need to take the shot. Without him, the offense doesn't click. And we seen tonight why he is the MVP candidate and why he is a closer because maybe Milton hits that shot. But Giannis is directing all the traffic. The whole uh, opposition defense is centered around what Giannis is doing in every move he makes. So, uh, you know, a big finish from Giannis tonight. Again, you touched on it. 30 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists. And I I feel like we say this every night now, but I didn't even really notice that he had 30 points until I looked at the box score after the game. And I'm like, okay. like, Giannis had another 30 tonight. Fair enough. I'm like, he, he just does it now. This is his nightly game. Um. And it's more so the other aspects of his game that that we are, are really noticing, including passing and distributing and those types of things. I mean, he's just he continues to get better. He continues to I I, I don't know surprise us. I like, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but he I, I don't know where I don't know where it stops for him. I, I, he just continues to get better through the season, um, and the Bucks. Uh, continue to feed off that and just win games. I think the surprising
2: part at this point is not like what he does on a nightly basis. It's that he's doing it every single night. You know, I think in years past, and obviously it's gotten more consistent. I mean, Giannis's steady line of growth is like pretty unprecedented in a player development. Like he just gets better at pretty much everything except three-point shooting every season. Although now his three-point shooting seems to be developing a little bit this year. It's going up month by month. But I think, we, you know, you talked about distributing and scoring. And how about the defense on the chase-down block on Jason Tatum that, as Mike Prada noted on Twitter, I mean, that's the margin of victory in this game was those two points. And at this point, like, if Giannis is at half court and someone's running on a fast break, I just assume it's a block, like, right away where I saw where Giannis was when that pass got to Tatum. I was like, oh, he he should, Tatum should pass that back. Like, that's not a good idea. And and he didn't, and it got just pummeled into the backboard.
1: That was and I I really sometimes you don't know what answer you're gonna get from, from Giannis when you ask him a question. Sometimes he will like to sort of, you know, talk it up a little bit, the play that he had. And then other times he won't give you a lot. And I asked him after the game, I was I said, look, you've, you've had a bunch of chase down blocks in your career, but potentially none more impressive than that. I said, when you see Tatum look back at you, is that when you know that this that you've got him, that you you have a chance at the play? And he didn't really give me a lot back. He said, that he th- I thought I was going to get dunked on. I thought it was going to be the Hazonia play all over again. I was just lucky to to get it. I think he didn't think I was going to get it, so he slowed down a little bit at the end, and that's a winning play. That's what coach wants us to do, and that's what I try to do. And you mentioned it already, In you know, a one-point game, that is a winning play. You know, like that's an open dunk for Tatum. It's a play that a lot of guys wouldn't even attempt to try and get. Uh, he blocks the shot. It doesn't end up in a three. It would have been electric if it turns out in the three down the other end. I think it was Miratica. It was Miratica Lopez. But uh, either way, I mean, again, that, that's just – I mean, it's it's ridiculous. There's no one else in the league at this point that can probably make that play other than Giannis, and uh, yeah, just another highlight to add to his uh, ridiculous real for the season.
2: This guy's just not touchable. I mean the the MVP chance coming down from Milwaukee, whether it was five serve this year or you know the Bradley Center last year, have just never felt more like oh, this is not just a thing we're doing for fun anymore. This is very much real at this point.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And, uh, it, it. I mean, you can't blame him. I mean, this guy is the MVP, and the crowd knows that. The crowd appreciates that. And, again, a, a, a really crazy atmosphere of fire serve to end this one. Uh, yet another sellout. Uh, it's becoming the norm uh, in Milwaukee. But tonight's game had a real playoff feel uh, from the amount of uh, media in the, in the building as well. Obviously, a national TV game, uh, Boston brings a whole – the, you know, crew of about eight beat riders with them for you know when they travel. So, look, a big big time game tonight, and and the Bucks again deliver on national TV. And for those people that are worried about what the uh, national TV audiences or uh, commentators are saying, then then that will go again a long way to to boost in their uh, profile. But tonight we see the debut of Nikola Miritic. I think everyone was so excited to see this guy out there. Uh, I know, just scrolling through my Twitter, the amount of times people have asked whether he was playing tonight, when he was going to play. Uh, you know, this has been probably one of the more, uh, you know, excitable uh, recruits that the Bucks have had in in recent times. Uh, everyone was he made a hype video. He made a hype video. That was his team as well. Yeah, that
2: was he. The, I I kind of cracked up because it was like. His one highlight in it was, like, walking into the game in a Buck shirt and, like, walking into a previous game in a Buck shirt because he hasn't played yet. And I was like, did you really make, a like, a hype mixtape to – like, I, I think it's cool. It was kind of weird to me, but it was definitely cool.
1: Yeah, man. He's like – he was ready to go. This guy's like – this is the thing. He, he was saying from the whole last week, he's like, I'm ready to play. I just want to play. I, I, I feel like the last week for him has been pretty painful not being able to play. So I'm sure he was – he was pretty fired up for tonight. He uh, look interesting. start. I, I think that the first half of this game was so scrappy that he just wasn't able to really find any rhythm uh, along with with everyone really. But uh, he finishes playing thirteen minutes, which uh, it seems about right. Bud was talking pregame about him having a minute restriction, uh, you know, so you would you would expect that he's going to play more minutes than that. Um, as the season rolls on and as, as he, you know, recovers to full health after having, uh, in the end, what well, was three weeks off. So 13 minutes, um, he goes, uh, he scores eight points, three for seven on the field, two for six from three. Um, and, you know, I, I think uh, his his two triples that he did hit were, were two of the highlights of the night. It probably drew some of the biggest cheers from the crowd. Everyone was really happy to see this guy knock down a couple threes and, you uh, you know, I, I think that he's only going to get better from there. He mentioned after the game that he was feeling pretty nervous. He was still trying to figure things out and, and work out uh, where his new teammates are going to be and how to play with everyone. But what what did you see from Miritich tonight?
2: It certainly seemed like he was sort of wading into the water a little slowly, so to speak. Um, the thing that stood out to me, I can't remember which of the excellent Bucks beat writers tweeted it, but like he wasn't ready for the the speed of Giannis' passes or like where Giannis' passes were going to come from. That was that was fun to read about. Um, I, I certainly think he'll look better going forward. But it was I was encouraged that you know coming back from being out for so long, first game with a new team, you know especially in the second half, he got after it and made a couple threes. And you know that's not to belittle his role, but that's largely what he's here to do: is space the floor, get the, get make threes. He grabbed a couple of rebounds, which is good. I, I would say it was a, a solid debut, and, and I love that the, the fans just went crazy. You're right. I mean, people have been going nuts for Nikola Miritich being added to this team. I think it's just a sort of... Part of it is Miritich being a good player and a good fit. I think part of it is just general excitement at this point.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I, I mean, he's the he's exactly the type of guy that, that when you think about what this offense has been doing and what Mike Budenholzer wants this team doing, a guy like Miritich... Is the absolute uh, perfect fit. So, and I, I think everyone understands that. Bud is really excited. He gets a smile on his face when he talks about Miritich. Miritich himself has, has not stopped smiling since he's got here. Every time you see him, he's smiling. Anytime you ask him any question, he gets a big smile on his face. So, you know, he, he's just really happy to be here. And you touched on that, that uh, you know, w- with Giannis and, and just that chemistry. And it was interesting because I, I commented on how fast. And and just the just the velocity of, of Giannis's passes that, a, again, his passing ability and he's just showing us some stuff now. It might be a, like a, a look away bullet to the corner. I mean, he's just passing at a level that a guy his size shouldn't be able to do. And for all the team that's been playing with him, it's all well and good. They they expect that for now. But uh, you know, Miritic perhaps not so much. And and I I, I did ask Giannis about that after just about how he thought Miritic fitted in uh, to the system because you you touched on it. It seemed like in the second half that he did find his groove a little bit and he was able to get some threes up and get some really good looks. Uh, and, and this was Giannis's answer and it, it touched on what you said. And it was funny. And this gives you a little insight into uh, the fact that it is, it is going to take these guys a few games. You can't just plug Miritich in and expect that he's going to know the tendency of all these guys after one practice yesterday. So Giannis said he fits in really well. He plays the right way. He's making plays. I talked a little bit with him and he said, sometimes when I pass him the ball, I caught him off guard. He didn't think I was able to make those passes to the corner. So I told him he's always got to be ready. And whenever whenever I'm coming coming down and I see your guy take a step towards the paint, you got to be ready. He was ready tonight in the second half, knocking down some big shots for us and he's going to keep playing great. And I think the team has done a great job of fitting him in. So that's in line with what we saw. Uh Giannis is a unique player and there probably is times where if you stand in the corner and you haven't been around playing with Giannis, you're like, okay, well, I'm just I'm just camped in the corner. We'll see what happens. There might be some second or third actions where I could get the ball. And then next thing, Giannis is, I, I don't know, like launches this one-handed uh, bullet uh, in between three defenders and all of a sudden you get a wide open corner three. So look, he, he's going to figure that out. These guys, are, uh, I think, are going to be a perfect match together. We've seen them play some... Minutes at the four and five in the in the fourth quarter. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think a promising debut. And, and have you got any other uh, final thoughts on, on Meritich uh, moving forward?
2: Uh, I don't know if I have that much more on Miritic, but is it does, it does it does it feel to you like Giannis's skill as a
1: passer is still kind of underrated, like league wide? I think so, and but I don't think it will be for long. Yeah,
2: um, that's probably true
1: because it's not the. It's not the, it's not like the assist numbers are, are climbing through the roof, and you shouldn't really expect that to happen. I, I've never really thought that Giannis is going to be a guy that's going to get eight or nine assists a game, but he doesn't need to. It, it's it's the actual passes that he's pulling off. It, like he's not making the simple pass anymore. He's making passes that, again, I, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but passes that I can only really think of LeBron as a guy that can make those passes as a guy that's that's that size or or that that big. Like Giannis is, again, that pass to Miracic in the corner. There was one uh, in Indianapolis last week where he, and he's been starting to do this, where he'll get the ball at the top of the key. He'll dribble left and take a couple steps left, suck the whole opposition defense uh, that way following Giannis as they do. And then he like sort of shovels like a backhanded like bullet back the other way, either to the corner or the wing. And sometimes you just get that that first pass to the, to the wing, and then everyone shifts that way. Then you've got a wide open corner three. Um, they did it. They did it a couple of uh, times against the Pacers. So passes like that, that people think ah oh, you know whatever that's it that's not simple and that is not common. And the, and the way Giannis is making that look so easy now, I mean that's that's elite stuff.
2: Yeah, I would agree, and I just checked the numbers right now because I think his assist numbers aren't really high. I think part of that is so often he'll pass to one shooter and the defense collapses on that shooter who then kicks it out to another one. So NBA.com's potential assist stat, Giannis right now at 11.6% potential assists per game. That is 19th in the league, so not bad considering a lot of the players above him are like guards, mostly point right. guards or like LeBron or Jokic and guys like
1: that. Right. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, again, we, we've seen the Bucks do that a lot this year where, you know, really crisp ball swings and it, it might be the, I guess, what do you call it? Like the hockey assist where that first pass is setting up the second, the second option. Um, and, and they've been doing that, that beautifully all year. And, and, getting better at it as the season goes on. So uh, tonight, I, I think they figure it out late in the fourth quarter. They get some 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 better movement on a night that, uh, you know, really just felt like the typical uh, post-All-Star game, uh, sluggish contest, um, but uh, with two playoff teams that, that expect that, you know, they might see each other later on. So the intensity was there late in the game uh, on a night that perhaps – it wasn't the crispest basketball game you're ever going to see, but uh, I mentioned it earlier. The Bucks are 44-14, and 14, so they matched last year's win total on February 21. Uh, they still have 24 games remaining. What's next for this team?
2: I mean, I think you have to look at 60, right? I mean, that's 50 at this point is a given, uh, essentially. I mean, it'd be ludicrous if they didn't get there. And sixty is feeling very realistic. We, I can't remember. We figured out the number they need to they need to go the rest of the way, didn't we?
1: Yeah. So uh, they need to. Uh, so to get sixty wins, they would have to finish uh, sixteen and eight. Which uh, for this team, I mean, they've won fifteen of the last seventeen. Uh, I think now they've won twenty four of the last twenty seven, or something ridiculous like that. So uh, you know they weren't really truly on pace to, to smash that. So sixteen and eight uh, would get them to sixty.
2: So their, So I, I earlier I took their winning percentage after this game, which I think is like 75.9, and applied it to the last 24 games and then added it to their current win total. And it comes out to just over 62. So that means they would win Wow, well, – I'm bad at math. That means they would win a good amount of games.
1: What's that to get to 62? That'd yeah. They'd have to be 18 and 6. So.
2: So six losses. I honestly don't know if there's six losses left on the schedule. I mean – They could probably lose a trap game or two, but there's not a lot of great teams left for them to play.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I keep thinking about this, and the NBA season is so long that I've just felt all along that, you know, as well as the Bucs are playing, there's going to be a patch of games where they might lose two or three in a row. And that's just what happens in an NBA season. But the way that this team keeps rolling, I'm not sure. I mean, they're so motivated. Uh, You you think about all the reasons they have motivation to beat these teams. Toronto, we know that they haven't forgot about the playoff series from two years ago. Boston, they only have to think back to last April and think about that playoff series. Philadelphia, there's just a rivalry there because I think that the Bucs have taken, uh, you know... uh, personal offense to, to how easily uh, Philly has been pumped up in the media and the process and all that. And I think the Bucs just think that they're better than Philly. That's just a personal opinion I get. So the motivation is there. I mean, this team, we've seen it all year. They lose a game, they come back ferociously and win the next game. If a team beats them, the next time they meet, the Bucks destroy them. Like This team is just so competitive and I'm not sure that they're going to slow down and that might mean that maybe they don't lose back-to-back games to the playoffs. And that's not something that I even thought possible as the season went on. I'm like, it's just going to happen at some point, but I'm not so sure anymore. And that's rare. The 73 Warriors went through. uh, They lost back-to-back games in the playoffs, obviously, but... They got through the regular season without losing back-to-back games. Uh, But going back at some of the other great teams, I looked it up a a couple of weeks ago, uh, even the 72-win Bulls lost back-to-back games. I think it was February 4 and February 6 off the top of my head. So that 72-win Bulls team had already lost back-to-back games by this point. I mean, it's ridiculous at this point. We're we're heading into March. Uh, We're in the final quarter of the season. And this team just... they just hate losing. I don't know how else to explain it. They hate losing.
2: Yeah, I mean, looking at the schedule, and I won't read off the whole thing because that'd be terrible audio. But like, if games where they play multiple playoff teams in a row, so March ninth and March tenth, they play the Hornets and the Spurs, and like that's like playoff teams in quotes, basically for kind of both of those. I wouldn't, and then I guess the Pacers right before that. So that's one of the toughest stretches they have left: is Pacers, Hornets, Spurs, which is not exactly a murderer's row. They have Sixers then Lakers, both at home, also in March. They have Rockets then Clippers, both at home, late March, and then they have Nets Sixers Nets. Uh, two of those on the road, the first two, and then Buck, and then against the Nets again at home, and then it's Hawks. Then they end with Thunder. So there's not really a like a very tough stretch left for them, and there's a whole lot of Cavs Hawks and like Suns around those games.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, they're going to go through the grind. And I think that it's worth mentioning that Giannis again today, the knee soreness came up on the injury report. And it was kind of strange to me because this is something that we got used to last season, seeing the knee soreness on the injury report, but it hasn't been as common um, this season. So, I was sort of curious about that, and and whether this is we know that this is something that he manages, and it's something that isn't really going to go away. This the NBA season is long, and with how physical Giannis plays, um, it, it's going to be tough to shake, and he's not going to be able to. But they're going to manage him at some point, and he's going to miss games. And I, I asked Bud before the game whether it's got any worse, and and typically, uh, and not surprisingly, he didn't give me a lot. He said some days it's good, some days it's bad. Uh, but it's something that he'll have to continue managing. So I, I think that will determine things uh, for Giannis. I, I think we can expect him to miss some games. I know this Friday. Uh, well, the Bucks go out west on Wednesday, and they're in. It's a tough road trip. So they're in Sacramento Wednesday. Uh, they play the Lakers on Friday night. Then have to go straight to Utah for the Saturday night game, and then play Phoenix on Monday. So. Um, I'm sceptical whether Giannis may even have this Saturday night off against Minnesota. That's I don't know anything about that. I'm just speculating with the big week ahead. But also I would look at that Lakers-Utah uh, back-to-back as potentially a time where he might miss one um, with that last back-to-back they had in Dallas and Orlando. Middleton missed the front end, uh, Giannis missed the back end. So I, I think that that's what we're going to look and see this Bucks team do, that they will want to continue to win and, and continue to look to lock up that number one seed but they're going to try and manage guys as best they can heading into the playoffs. And they've got the depth to do so. Um, so that, that's going to be something to follow.
2: And to be clear, I mean, even if it does cost them a couple games, you'd always rather be healthy for the playoffs than, you know, not to chase a regular season thing. But, you know, even if – like you could, they could lose back-to-back games and or lose more than they would if they played everyone hard and still have the one seed. But even if they lost the one seed, I mean – you want to hold on to it, of course, but being healthy for the playoffs should be the number one priority for a team that prides itself as the best in the East and, you know, has been the best in the East all season.
1: No, there's no doubt about that. And when you look at the standings right now and tonight, uh, you know, you you could have thought that, you know, oh, okay, the Celtics may win tonight and if they get that, that tiebreaker, then... If something really goes wrong, then perhaps they can catch the Bucs. But they're seven and a half games behind the Bucs now. And when you include the, the tiebreaker, the, the Celtics aren't going to catch the Bucs. Uh, Philadelphia are six and a half games behind. I can't see them catching the Bucs, particularly with Embiid uh, you know, potentially missing another week. The Pacers, I, I don't see it with the way that they are. So that's when you come back to how important that win in Toronto was the other week. The Bucks essentially, with the tiebreaker, have a two-game lead over the Raptors, so they got some breathing room there. Um, I've got no doubt that they're going to want that home court advantage, uh, you know, for when they hopefully get to the Eastern Conference Finals. But you know, they're in a really good spot and, and controlling all of those tiebreakers, and particularly the one against the Raptors, a team that you know really you think is the only team that can catch them at this point for the top seed. Uh, will be critical in allowing them to, to to rest some of these guys, so you know they've done all the hard work to this point, they've put themselves in the best position possible, and now it's about getting everything right, integrating Miritich, continuing to play well, and ensuring that these guys can stay as healthy and fresh as possible.
2: do you know if it, if, if Indiana keeps playing well, and I kind of brought this up last time? You know, it could almost be a win-win, like, first or second seed in the East. Like, obviously, if you're first, the win is you get home court throughout, which is great, especially considering how good the Bucks have been at five serve. But if Indiana is the three seed and the Bucks are the two seed, that means Philly and Boston play in the first round. One of them is out right away. And then given that the Bucks beat the seventh seed, who will be a garbage team, they will they would match up with then Indiana or the five seed, probably the Nets in the second round. So, I mean, there is theoretically a path to the Eastern Conference finals without playing more than one of – I mean, without playing any of the, the other good three teams and, and you only have to play beat one of them to get to the finals, which would be – it almost feels too easy, honestly.
1: Yeah, I, I can see that. And, and look, the paces are a team that I expect are going to keep winning uh, – really well coached and they got some, they got some decent depth as well. They just got some solid players. They don't have a star and I don't think it's going to be able to hold up in the playoffs, but I can see them winning a lot of regular season games. And uh, at this point, um, you know, uh, Boston and Philly aren't exactly grabbing it, grabbing it with two hands. So uh, that that will be something to monitor. But um, as far as the bucks go, they're back on the court on Saturday night against Minnesota. Uh, 70 uh, 90s night sorry actually so there's some nice purple hats that they're giving away at at a fire serve i think for the first five thousand fans but uh minnesota was a team that the bucks blew out by 30 points earlier in the season when jimmy butler saga was in full swing Mm. uh they haven't really got much better since then uh 27 and 30 uh they're 8 and 20 on the road uh just looking at the standings so Look, this is a game before the Bucs go on a road trip Monday in Chicago, then the four games out west. So this is one that the Bucs will want to take care of, and they won't be back at Fyster for a while. So uh, do you see any any danger in this one?
2: No, I certainly don't see any danger, and I think Robert Covington's been out for a little while. If he's not healthy for that game, that just makes it that much tougher for Minnesota because he's pretty clearly their best defensive player. And I mean, Josh Okogie is good too. I don't know if they play him enough, but – if Covington's out, that's a big blow for them, and, and he has been for a while now. I think he's, I think he's getting close to being able to play again, but not really
1: sure to be honest. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree. Again, uh, last Saturday night, <laughs> the Bucks blew one against the Orlando Magic the Saturday night before the break. So look, nothing's a certainty, but I, I think that this team is going to, you know, they've had their little blowout, and as ridiculous as that is to say against a team like Boston, but. They've blown out the cobwebs tonight. I think now they get a chance to really knuckle down, uh, lock into this uh, back end of the season, and and head towards the playoffs, which are now just 24 games away. Uh, What do you think? Have you got anything else to add uh, from from tonight? I'm a little
2: concerned about Ursan getting all of the backup to Mirotic minutes and DJ getting none of them, but to his credit, Ursan played pretty damn well tonight.
1: Yeah, that's certainly going to be something to watch. And I know we touched on that in the last podcast, but you're right. Ersan was good tonight. He plays 11 minutes. He has nine points in those 11 minutes. He draws a charge, which, of course, he does. And as I mentioned, he he broke the record. He's now got 38 charges for the season. Uh, NBA. dot com had those records only back three seasons, so we're, we're not talking like a you know. I'm not sure whether anyone's had more than that, but he breaks Carl uh, Lowry's record of 37, so he moves to 38 with 24 games remaining. So he's he's you know he's on a historic charge taking run. <laughs> uh, but really, again, just good to see him get his shot back. Four for four from the field hits his hits his one three attempts, and as long as he keeps doing that, I, I think he's probably going to play. Uh, again, we'll be inter- it'll be interesting to see when Miritic only plays 13 minutes tonight. I think that's going to get closer to 20, 25. So then, you know, between Ursan and DJ, there's five minutes maybe. I'm not sure, um, but it's certainly something worth worth monitoring there. I just I like
2: DJ's defensive upside so much that's why I like to see more of him. But did you know Ursan could dunk? Uh, I did uh, not know Ursan could dunk.
1: I wasn't sure what was going to happen there. He sort of looked like he went out with one hand and then changed to two hands. Maybe he didn't quite have a handle on the ball. I'm not sure. But that was an incredible sequence from so Ersan. Comes into the game, gets a tip in, takes a charge, gets a fast break layup. Uh, dunk, sorry, not layup. Yeah, it, it just seemed like it should be a layup. Right. So, hey, yeah, good for him, man. Good for him.
2: I, I thought it was gonna I thought it was gonna do like the ultimate you know how the players sort of like fake you out sometimes and they go up strong and then lay it in soft I really I was so sure that was what was gonna happen like I I just I couldn't believe it that might be the highlight of the season for me is Urson just grazing the rim but getting the dunk to stay down,
1: hey you know
2: the team had the team was aggressive Chris tried to throw down on Daniel Tice.
1: That was incredible. I must admit, that was a highlight of the night for me. We haven't seen him try to throw down on someone like that. Like he knew he was there and still went for it. So you know, I guess there were there was some some nice highlights on the night that was also providing some pretty ugly basketball. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're gonna leave it there. The Bucks win against Boston ninety-eight to ninety-seven. They improved to forty-four and fourteen on the season. They'll be back on Saturday night to play Minnesota. But for now, they just keep winning. And I think we're going to leave it at that for now. But we'll be back in a few days. Uh, Thanks for joining me, Ty.
2: Thank you, Kane, And thank you, everybody, for listening.